0: The thing that I don't want to lose is the risk tolerance because that is what made us successful to this day.
1: Claire Coder is a proud college dropout. She started her first business, a promotional products company at age 16. In just two years, she was able to grow the business to employ eight independent distributors, sell in boutiques across the Midwest. And sell internationally online. That sparked her passion for building companies and led her to drop out of college to launch AntFlow. Headquartered in Ohio, AntFlow ensures every bathroom outside the home is stocked with freely accept- accessible. AntFlow ensures every bathroom outside the home is stocked with freely accessible menstrual products. Four years of grit and hustle has positioned Antflow to sell to hundreds of companies and schools, raise venture capital from top firms, and give back 500,000 menstrual products to people in need. Claire Coder, who is a member of the Forbes 30 under 30, is the founder and CEO of Flow, Antflow, and Workflow. Coder launched her first company at age 16. It designed a bag for Vera Bradley that sold out in 24 hours and has her own line of GIFs. The 23-year-old founder has been featured in Teen Vogue, Forbes, and started in TLC's Girl Starter Season 1. When she is not jamming out to McLemore, she is pretending like she knows how to run Google Ads. We are here today in the Gravity Podcast with Claire Coder, who I am um, really excited to have. I've been following Claire and her career for quite some time now. I um, don't remember kind of your first recollection of us meeting, but I remember being at a, uh, I think it was like a business first awards event of some kind where you won an award. I don't know if you know this. Have I ever told you this? No, I don't
0: okay. know story. Tell yeah. me
1: more. Yeah. So you won an award and I don't remember what it was for. And I believe you gave a speech or there was some kind of video and i was sitting in the back of the big ballroom and i thought to myself wow this this young woman you are you this was a while ago you you are still but you were then really young and and i i just remember thinking like wow, how impressed i was with you you just had like a real uh way about you that just was composed and High energy, and you were up to big things. And I just remember thinking at the time, like, I need to know this person. And and eventually, you know, I don't, I don't know if I actually thought this, but I, I think you know, somewhere in the back of my head, I was thinking, and I, and I want to do something with her. I want to, I want to ride her coattails. So <laughs> I, I, it's been a, it's been a, an honor to actually get to know you and do some um, work with you. And we'll talk about that later. But yeah, thanks for being here.
0: Yes, absolutely delighted. Thank you for sharing that story, Brett. I remember um, the first time that we sat down together um, and you helped me really understand what the role of a CEO is and leaning into unique ability. Um, You taught me about the unique ability test and we still use that quadrant theory at our company today. So it's been wonderful to build a relationship
1: awesome good well i want to make sure that the listeners get to know you and our format really has been to kind of have you tell your full life journey so they can see all of the elements that go into the success that you're having now and have had along the way so let's start kind of early on tell me a little bit about kind of your your family your early childhood kind of where you're from and and what life was like as a, as a little one.
0: Uh-huh. Yes. Um, so I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, and the, <laughs> I actually don't remember most of my childhood, um, you know, the funny ways of how our memory works to our advantage and blocks out some mm. yucky stuff, but mm. um, there were some positive things. I, I grew up in Toledo um, and started Uh, What I like to say is entrepreneurship from a young age. I was known for creating a lemonade stand in our community. And instead of selling lemonade, I sold beer to construction workers when I was super duper young. Um, And I joke that I was finding my target market, leaning into it, and now I follow the law. But that was what I did from a young
1: age. Well, I I have to jump in there so because this is great. This is just like... An awesome like entrepreneurial story. And like in some ways, you know, I think like that just makes perfect sense knowing you a little bit, right? So and I really actually think this it does kind of um really highlight eventually, you know, kind of even the work that you're doing right now. So tell me, how old were you when you were selling beer to construction workers?
0: Yeah, I was about six or seven. I was, you know, I it was a summer and I was with my friend Dana and uh, there was There weren't many people walking around our neighborhood, but there were construction workers working down the road at a house. And we were like, "Oh, today is our perfect day for a lemonade stand." It was sunny. It was hot. It was middle of summer. We had our target market available and thirsty. And we're mixing up some Crystal Light lemonade in the kitchen. And it occurred to me that I have uh, that these construction workers looked a lot like my dad. Um, You know, most stereotypical construction worker, and uh, I realized my dad never drank my mom's Crystal Light lemonade. What he did drink was beer from the mini fridge. And so, at this age, we're raiding my dad's beer fridge, um, taking beer by the can, walking it down the road to these construction workers, and saying, "Hey, you can buy this beer for five dollars a can." Of course, they laughed, and you know, they we made twenty-five dollars. We sold five cans, twenty-five dollars. The first twenty-five dollars I made. My babysitter was supposed to be looking out after us. She wasn't watching this whole thing. But I remember my dad coming home and calling my babysitter and saying like... That telling her that she was fired because she, my dad thought that she had taken his beer, and I walk out with a puffed chest and tell him that how proud I was that I sold it, and my dad was like, "Well, I need to teach you about cost of goods sold. You need to give me at least twelve dollars back." So not only was I selling beer, I was also buying beer for my dad at that time. Uh,
1: uh,
0: Uh, So it's a funny, it's a funny story, but yeah. The, the takeaways is obviously like learn your target market, lean into it, understand cost of goods sold. Um, and of course, that wasn't my only childhood story, but that was yeah. uh, just a funny entrepreneurial relevant childhood story,
1: yeah, yeah, well, well, it's an interesting thing and and if you are comfortable, I'd like to kind of dive a little deeper into kind of um what your family dynamic was like and and kind of what your parents were like because I'm wondering, you know, kind of what else was there that you learned and and kind of, you know, really what your relationship was like with your dad and, and really, you know, was he teaching you about business or was there, you know, something else there and even, you know, the comment you made on memory and the yucky stuff, you know, I certainly can relate to that. You know, I've shared kind of my story publicly, you know, this year and, 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 you know, and, and, on this podcast and, and in smaller circles, and I think it's really an important part of what shapes us to be who we are. Um, certainly, you know, I kind of look back and look at all the hard or, as you say, yucky stuff um, in in a in a way that I feel very full of gratitude for because it really, uh, although hard, you know, really shaped me into who I am. And I'm wondering if you could maybe elaborate a little bit on. You know what that was like. You know for you as a kid,
0: Mm. yeah. So I didn't. My mom and dad weren't necessarily entrepreneurs. My mom is an art therapist, and my dad is a land surveyor, and they did kind of lean into some entrepreneurial aspects. For example, I never got a weekly allowance, um, but my dad had this itemized list of all of the chores, and if I did the chore, what the dollar value was worth. And so would do all the chores. You know, like. Do, washing the clothes and doing the laundry, I got a dollar. Um, 50 cents for washing it, 50 cents for folding it. And um, at the end of the week, I would check tally all the things that I did. And I would have to submit an invoice to my dad to get paid. And he had net seven-day terms. So I'd submit my invoice and he'd pay me seven days later. And those are just some small moments of learning about entrepreneurship. that I think my parents didn't know the term entrepreneurship, but really um, sort of supported me in talking about money from a young age. Some of the yucky stuff. I mean, uh, when I was in fourth grade, my retinas and my eyes detached. So I was actually legally blind for a year. Um, the doctors didn't know what was wrong. And so I was just carted around all across the country with these doctors poking and prodding at me, trying to figure out, you know, why is this girl having this situation? I was put on uh pregnazone and methotrexite of pretty heavy steroids for the age that I was. Um, and I started gaining weight. And the situation of gaining weight when you can't see is you just rely on all words. So that's the only truth that you have. It's physical touch and words. And um, I kept going to school and I remember kids calling me squirrel cheeks and fatty and ugly. And um, it's one thing to be able to hear it and be able to see yourself and be like, no, that's not me. But I only heard it and I had to believe what I was hearing. Um, and what was really bizarre with this whole eye thing is occasionally my retinas would reattach and I could see randomly. Ah, And I remember being in the shower one day. Um, This was a day that I could see during the year that I was legally blind and um, looking down in the shower. And I looked straight down and I was so fat that I couldn't see my toes, which was really bizarre uh, because the last time I saw myself, I wasn't fat. Mm. And I was is the steroids. It was forcing me to retain water. And it wasn't necessarily that my physical activity or eating changed. I was just retaining all of this water. Mm. Um, it hurt so much that I then oddly got the validation that what people were telling me was true. And I couldn't get out of that cycle. And that was really, really tricky. I was really thankful that I was ultimately diagnosed with what they called bilateral posterior scleritis, which is the flaming of your retinas and in your inflaming of the retinas in your eyes. There were only 14 other kids in the world who had mm. this bizarre yeah. thingy, jiggy mm-hmm. and those 14 other kids ended up dying. And so, for me, death became really intimate. I think a lot about death. I never fear death because I just assume it's going to happen at a young age. But I also recognized, like, man. I'm living for some reason and even in darkness, I still had a vision for myself and that vision was to be able to change the world. And so that life altering event, first of all, forced me to grow up pretty quickly Mm -hmm, (laughs) Um, and also spiraled my family into a situation where there was a lot of conversation around money yeah. Uh, I was an expensive child. Those medical yeah. bills are absolutely outrageous. And so yeah. heard a lot about money from my parents and their fighting. Uh, forced myself to have a vision for my life, even though I couldn't see. Um, this was all at four, in fourth grade. And so mm-hmm. the benefit of all of that is now as a founder, like, eh. You know, nothing is harder than being blind when you're in fucking fourth grade.
1: Yeah. Uh, Seriously. You know. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Yeah. I mean, my um it's 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 interesting. My, my my wife actually just had a detached retina. Um and uh and had to go through the surgery. She actually just finished the, her second surgery last week. And um it's a it's a scary thing. I mean, for her, uh, you know, she's an adult, you know, but, but still when that eye goes black and uh, in her case, they say, well, it's one of two things. And one of them is really bad. You know, the other one is going to not be fun. Uh, But, but thinking about it um, and actually my, my youngest son was, was born with uh, congenital nystagmus. And, and when we were um, first trying to figure out what it was that was going on with him, because he was a baby, you know, we knew something was wrong with his eyes. Just from looking at him, and uh, and we were also kind of as the parent um, in that situation, and and they weren't sure what it was, and they thought it was life threatening, and he was misdiagnosed with something that you know was a was a life threatening disease, uh, and you know traveling around the country, I, I I've kind of been through that a bit as a parent, um, but. You know, he was he was a a little kid, and you know he still lives with it today, but he was never blind, and he wasn't old enough to be aware of what was happening. and And you know, fourth grade, so you're you know probably nine years old. Um, I mean, you you sound, and maybe this is kind of what's always uh, struck me about you. you, you sound to be pretty mature. Or at least kind of thinking about some stuff that's pretty uh, intense and, and heavy at a at a really young age, and, and I'm just kind of wondering. I mean, even going back to the selling beer story, I mean, you seem to have kind of a sophistication or a maturity or a level of thinking that you know most people at that age really don't have, and and I and I'm not. I'm just kind of curious to hear more about kind of what was going through your mind and and if you you know can look back on it and and see how that was maybe a unique way to be thinking at that age
0: so and for listeners, now i'm twenty three. I'm not, you know, i'm I'm still learning about life relatively young, but i I do think I had a variety of life-changing experiences really, really early, which forced me to grow up faster. Um, You know, my parents' relationship wasn't the strongest. I had to assume significant responsibility early on. Um, Our house burned down when I was, you know, super young as well. And um, there was just, you know, all these hits, just one after another. And so I just kind of, that became my reality. Um, And I remember graduating high school and I wrote this paper with me thinking about death. And I remember I was big into Pinterest in high school and everybody else was planning their wedding. And oddly, I was planning my funeral. And I thought that everybody did that uh, because my entire life I was thinking about death, right? Like in fourth grade, I was told I was going to die. And this condition was just looming. And there's, now, so much more um, education on it. I mean, you mentioned your wife; her retina detached, and she had surgery. When I was, you know, this was almost ten years ago. There wasn't that technology or education around retinas just ten years ago, and so there's so much more education now. But it's it's for me. I've just always. I, I've been so close to death and so death has always just been on the forefront of my mind and um, I've had a lot of life experience. So I think that that's forced me to grow up a little faster. And then, Brett, here's another, like, this is a little woo-woo. I, I studied comparative religion when I went to college and uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure that I'm like, so this is just a concept that I've kind of developed in my brain, mm-hmm. um, that maybe as humans, we have all lived a few lives before us and some of us are on our first life and some of us are on our seventh life and some of us are on our 50th life. And I actually think that being 23 and having the opportunity to build this company and you know having all these life experiences, maybe I'm actually on my like 25th life. I've grown up in previous lives and so now I'm able to make faster and quicker decisions as a 23-year-old because I've already lived 50 lives. Yeah. Whereas you might meet somebody else who they aren't as mature. Um, maybe they're on their first or second life. Now I'm not sure if this is like the whole thing, but this is something that I think about and maybe a potential for our world. Who knows? But that's yeah. my thoughts.
1: Yeah there's a lot there I want to unpack with you. You know, I think that you're thinking about death. I mean, look, you were forced to think about death. So, you know, let's, let's kind of take these separately. I want to get back to the woo-woo part, but the, the part that, you know, you, um, kind of had to embody that, that, you know, there's 14 people with this and, and you're the only one living there was a, there's a, a real look at death at a young age and you know i think there's a lot of ways that that can land with you because you were so young it could be traumatic i mean you could be incredibly fearful of dying you could you could really you know embody a paralyzing fear that you could die at any moment after having that experience or you could have a different attitude about it and embrace and you could embrace it you know you could kind of look at it as embrace life which is sounds like what you've done but but you know I, it's first of all it's funny for me to hear somebody say in high school i was really into pinterest um because i am not 23 and pinterest came much later um but but second of all you know to hear that your pinterest board was full of funeral stuff and 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 like you were kind of like playing with it, right? Like, I mean, it wasn't like this horribly dark, sad thing that death was something that you thought could be coming at a young age. Am I hearing you right?
0: Yeah, and I, I actually just thought that that's how everybody thought about death. It, and it's similar to why I am so intrigued with the menstrual movement, which is my company, is it's all of these non-talked about natural parts of life right? Menstruation is so natural. It happens every month for biological females and death happens to every single one of us. And so why is it this taboo, scary topic? For me, it was just really clear that it should be uh, talked about and beautiful and not scary because we all know it's coming.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is exactly why I like to really hear the full story because these are the dots that that get connected. You know, so there's a dot there from, you know, l- the way that you looked at death and the way that we can can be with it, talk about it, experience it, acknowledge it, which is not the way most people are with it. Um, and then, you know, how that later in life is a learning that you can apply to your career, to your work you know th- those are the dots that i think are so important for us to connect because i do believe and this is kind of my woo woo part that those learnings are there for us to use and you can call that woo woo or not you know you could just say there's this practical thing called life that you get to use i don't think it's it's that simple i think these are you know universe god-given learning experiences that are there for us to be able to use to create. And, and, and that's what you've done. But, but before we get to your work now, I still want to kind of talk a little bit about kind of how you then, as this, you know, what I'm hearing, like kind of unique person in the world, unique young person in the world, you know, when you're in high school, what What else are you doing besides creating Pinterest boards about death? you know tell me i w- I want to get to the 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 religious studies and kind of college and, and your story there, but like tell me who else what what else is Claire at that age? Hmm.
0: um man, what else is Claire? I was a really bad student, um dyslexic, so school was not my jam. um my parents did kind of encourage me you know. They wouldn't ever ask me about tests and grades as long as I brought home report cards with A's, and so I figured out ways to present A's, uh, even though I sucked at school. So I, you know, cheat on tests and pay people to do my homework. What I just like saying is finding the loopholes in the system to achieve the end result. Doesn't matter how you get there. My parents really focused on outcomes, um, just with that small, that small carrot. You may say, like, just show me the A and we'll never ask. (laughs) Um, And in high school, I actually got a button maker from my grandma. And... Um, I started making buttons and magnets and compact mirrors, obviously pulling inspiration from Pinterest. Uh, this whole podcast has now become like a Pinterest ad. I didn't mean to talk about Pinterest all that much, but
1: yeah, uh, sure. clearly... I do. It. I happen to love Pinterest. I, yeah. I use it a lot. So it's okay. great. Yeah.
0: Um, and I uh, was pinning all these things, making these buttons. And I ran out of inventory to be able to make the buttons. And my dad said, well, you know, Claire, like, can I either use your allowance to make more or you could go and try to make money off of it? It seemed like a pretty decent idea. And so I started my first relatively small company making buttons and magnets and compact mirrors. And I sold them to my friends and my family. I then started selling them to local boutiques in Sylvania and in Toledo. And I built up this quasi MLM. I sold buttons to my friends for them to sell to their families and um, became a top seller on Etsy. Uh, And this was when I was 16, 17, 18. Um, And I ended up using the majority of that money to buy my first car, which was my VW Volkswagen Bug. Mm -hmm. And uh, I used a lot of that money too to pay off my teachers so that I could go to these business meetings. And I use the money to buy my first fake ID so that I could um, go to the 18 plus business meetings. because so I was so scared they were going to ID me when I went into the bar for the 18 plus business meeting at 11 a.m.
1: What, what do you mean you paid off your teachers?
0: <laughs> Practical <laughs> advice, right? Um, well, you know, just uh, it, like you can just like slip them on at 20 and have them write you a pass.
1: It's that easy, huh? Wow. Okay. Um, So, so, so (laughs) for all the
0: parents listening. (laughs) Yeah.
1: No. But what I what I'm hearing is like it's it's the thing is is that I have this um, feeling about kind of how we educate children and and you know I'm not really diving into kind of what the solution is, but I think there's a lot of people like you and like me who aren't doing well in school you know, I didn't do well in school when I was in high school either. Uh, and, and, you know, it, I think there's like, a, there's a really good reason for it. The, the, for me, the reason was I wasn't that interested in it. I um, had, you know, kind of reasons why I wasn't really able to pay attention. Um, I was just focused on other things. And the way that they measure your intelligence is by your performance. And so you now maybe it's gotten better today, but they're, they're not really measuring what you were doing, which was being incredibly smart about how you would navigate the system. To me, that's using your brain, that's using your mind, that's being creative, that's being resourceful, that's being courageous. Um, sure, maybe it's a little sneaky too. Right. There's some other things in there that, that maybe as you start to mature, you realize, you know, you can and can't do, but, but, you know, there's grit, there's resilience. I mean, there's so much there that isn't taught, that isn't measured, that you are kind of, I I think you developed and maybe you were even born with it. Maybe this is even part of the 25 live thing, but like, that's who you were. And, and I hate that that's not really honored in the academic environment, but it's okay. I mean, you still made it work. And, and uh, anyway, yeah, it's just, I think it really highlights your kind of unique ability, so to speak, as, a, as a, like a God-given gift.
0: I don't necessarily agree with the whole education system currently, but I do actually think it emulates a lot of how the business world works. There is structure and there are rules to play, but there's a lot of loopholes that you can find and explore. And some people are open to doing that and some people aren't. Um, Some loopholes are just so not a way you should go and not ethical, but it's similar to school. It's outcome driven. I mean, I graduated with a 4.2 GPA and in the top 10 of my class, I did it. The way that I needed to, and I got the results that were required, just like in business. Um, I'm more of a leader that's, hey, here's the outcome that I need, and I support you in getting there, but you have the tools in your toolbox, you figure out the way. I am not a person that teaches process, I'm more of a person that focuses on outcome. Um, And so, similarly, that was my high school career, Um, just focusing on the outcome. And I found the unique way. Of getting there, it's just like yeah. math. I hated when teachers tried to tell me the exact way to get to the end result. I knew there were thirteen other ways to get to mm-hmm. the end result. Let me figure out my way, and I will produce the outcome.
1: <laughs> it's funny. I'm I'm a big and the reason you know the unique ability exercise that you mentioned earlier uh, came from Strategic Coach, which I'm involved in Dan Sullivan's group, and his latest book is Who Not How. And, and that's been a philosophy I've been learning about for a long time through his teaching. And, 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 you know, what I hear is you were early on in high school, uh, figuring out, uh, who, not how. So you knew what you wanted, which was A's, good grades, right? Please your parents and, and how to get there was, uh, relying on some other people. Right. Like uh I'll 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 cheat off of this person, I'll pay that person, I'll get these people to help me do this, right? And in high school, that's called cheating. In business, that's called getting help, but getting support, you know, outsourcing. You know, yeah. it's an interesting thing. So anyway, um, so so that just kind of highlights a little bit more for for me uh as who you were as a kid. Were you also uh, a troublemaker, like you know, I I know academically, but like socially, were you were you you know kind of focused on button making and business, and that was your passion? Were you getting into trouble? What was your kind of social life like?
0: Mm. Um, you know, I I don't think I was getting into trouble. Maybe I should call in my dad to offer some additional p- feedback. But uh, <laughs> my parents described me as a, a relatively easy kid. I. I did what I, uh, I wanted. Um, I actually thought that I was going to be a lawyer. I was in mock trial uh, and I became the world champion prosecuting attorney for mock trial um, in high school. And then of course I realized that to be in mock trial, there's a lot of rules, and you have to go to a lot of or to be aware. There's a lot of school and a lot of rules. Two things that I was not really proficient at, uh, so that whole thing kind of Um uh, But I was involved. I did theater. I was the class vice president. I was super involved, and the extracurriculars actually gave fulfilled my bucket for community. I really community driven, and I. Found a lot of what I needed to be fulfilled in those extracurriculars, not necessarily the classroom. And I think what I was really thankful for that I had that others didn't was the outcome that I was looking for. So, what I've observed um, for folks that are in high school or even in college, they're waffling on the outcome. Therefore, it's harder to find the way because they don't know where they're going. Whereas I've always had the, I'm really grateful that I've always kind of known like I want to run a company, and that's that was my outcome. And so it was really easy for me to configure based on the outcome, where so many folks don't know where they're going or what they want, and so they just allow the world to direct them. So um, that I think is the only kind of additional advantage that I think that I had in high school and why I was able to maneuver the system what I believe to be a little bit more eloquently than others was because I did have a very clearly defined outcome that I was driving towards.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and tell me as you're kind of getting now into your business career. I mean really when I think about the button making, you know starting that at 16, you know the fact that you were able to purchase a car, you know, there there was, you were actually really in business at 16 years old. This wasn't just like the lemonade stand anymore. Um, and, and so what was the outcome that you were driving towards when, when you started to really get into business? Was it really uh, about money and, and making money? What were you driving towards? Hmm.
0: So um, my pers- perspective on all of this has changed. Uh, this this last year but when i was in high school the outcome was one produce the grades that i my parents wanted to so that i could keep doing everything else so that was like the outcome i needed a's and a like 4.0 plus. plus two was i wanted to have enough money so that i could do the things that i wanted to do right like drive my own car do my own activities you know pay for the things that i wanted i did not want to have to rely on my parents or anyone else because there was already so much fighting about money i never wanted their to be another fight about money as it pertained to me, so my outcome was have enough money so my parents don't have to talk about money with me. <laughs> um, so mm-hmm. that was the outcome number two. Um, so to some extent, yes, make enough, make money, um, and then outcome number three, um, which has uh, been, or, outcome number three in high school was prove to people that I was smart. I actually had like when I was in middle school, I didn't know how to work the system. I wasn't performing very well. And I was consistently told that I wasn't really smart. And I was like, I think I am. I, I think I am. And so a lot of high school was just proving to the world and to myself that I was good at things and that I wasn't dumb or I wasn't stupid just because I couldn't do a test by myself or figure out how to do mental math. I still count math on my fingers. Like I'm literally that CEO that is counting all these like basic arithmetic with my fingers.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I think it's a uh yeah, I think it's like a a, a left brain right brain kind of thing <laughs> because, you know, I, I do the same thing and I'm actually really good at math, but there's certain things where I'm just like I got to go to my hands. Um, you know, there's it's like a visual learning thing or something, I don't know. But 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 um I that that's really helpful to hear kind of, you know, what you're driving towards then. And and then I'm curious you, you do go to college, and, and I know that you drop out, and, and I have a quote here from you that says, "Being a dropout in Ohio was with, sorry, being a dropout in Ohio with a vision and no money, I was forced to test my grit to make my dreams a reality. nude modeling to pay the bills, getting fired from two waitressing jobs, instructing fitness classes for side cash." There, there's a lot there. So first tell me why, why go to college knowing kind of, you know, this academic thing and, you know, I'm really interested in the proving it piece and, and how much of, of, you know, kind of what starts to fuel you is in this, I need to prove it, you know, how long do you carry that with you?
0: Hmm. Um, So I was no profit in high school. I'm still not. Um, uh, and in high school, I still wanted to be successful. And growing up in Ohio, I was told, you know, you go to high school, you graduate top of your class, you go to college, you get a job, you get married, you're successful. And like that was the definition of success that was familiar for me um, and was told to me. And so at the end of my high school career, I was asked, where are you going to college? Not what are you doing after high school? And so I just thought, okay, well, I was never a ladder climber, but I was like, okay, well, this is the obvious next step. It allows me to get out of my house. I can move to a new city, uh, and also I was dating a boy at the time, and he was at Ohio State, and so Ohio State seemed like the most, you know, obvious choice. <laughs> um, so I went to Ohio State, studied comparative religion, actually with no intention to continuing, but I knew that it was a like a stepping stone, and so. I was actually only there for a semester. And this is a story that's not told as much. I ultimately, obviously, started what is now known as Aunt OnFlow. Um, but I was actually planning to leave university to start a different company. Uh, I was plotting this company. It was called The Conversation Cafe. And I had signed a lease for a um, old Five Guys Burgers and Fries in Ann Arbor, Michigan, right on the University of Michigan campus. Um, had a commercial kitchen. It was perfect for my conversation place. It was going to be a unique coffee shop where people could come together. And I had this cookie that I made. Um, and I actually have photos of me soldering this uh, pan and making these cookies in the dormitory kitchen um, to prove out my concept. And uh, there are these unique cookies. And it was kind of like a fortune cookie, it was made with shortbread. But instead of telling you a quote on how to live, it asked you a thought-provoking question so that you could break the cookie and break into conversation. Um, So that was the cookie. And then I was going to have this cafe. And then together, I was going to have the conversation cookies at the conversation cafe. Blah, 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 blah. blah. Um, And I was moving towards leaving college to do this. This was um, at the end of 2015. And I... Um, got a call from the owner of the building and they were no longer able to lease the building. There was a gas leak. There was a problem with the kitchen. It wasn't up to code. Blah, 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 blah. And then that next weekend... So obviously, I'm devastated. I'm like, Oh
1: my God, what am I going to do with my life? I had this
0: whole plan. I was going to leave college. Um, then the next weekend, that's when I went to a startup weekend, which was the hackathon. Um, that's where I got my period and had the idea for Aunt Flo. And this makes it sound a little bit flippant. <laughs> like I like had this whole idea and I was going to go on, all in on that thing. And then I had this other idea and I was like, okay, I guess I'll go on, on this thing. But um, the outcome that I wanted was still the same. It was I wanted to leave college and I wanted to start a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I got most of my excitement. And so although it sounds a little flippant on, oh, you just switch your idea and overnight you have a new business concept... Um, it was really once again outcome focused, where I knew I wanted to leave college, and I knew I wanted to do a business, um, and I knew, like maybe this was a little bit pompous and arrogant and only childlike, but I, I knew I was going to be good at it, um, yeah. and so um, that's what I ended up doing.
1: Yeah. So, so you knew college was not for you, and and you went because if I'm hearing you right, you went because that's kind of what the expectation was. That was kind of the. Fabric of your programming in society, which it still is for most people, go to college. But you knew it wasn't for you within a semester, and you knew you wanted to start a business, and that was really driving you. And by the way, like to switch business ideas, um, it's not flip it to me. It's like uh, most kids, which you know you are at that age at eighteen years old, or maybe you're. Technically, an adult—you're still a child. <laughs> you, you, most people are changing their major three, four times, right? You know, it, you're not—you're not supposed to know what business you're going to do and do it forever. And frankly, I think it shows courage that you decided to switch into something else that that felt maybe even you know more aligned. And clearly, it is and and was because you you know are still working in that business that you started then. But but before we talk about that, and I promise we will get there, uh, let's go back to your quote. I'm not letting you off the hook. So you you drop out and you and you start and flow, but but there's a lot of uh, you know, force to test my grit. You know, tell me a little bit about kind of like these, you know, early dropout stages and kind of the way that you are hustling to pay the bills.
0: So dropping out in Silicon Valley is much different than dropping out of college when you're in Ohio. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm sure you have listeners all across the United States. It's not as cool or like awesome or looked highly upon to drop out when you're in Ohio. And it definitely wasn't in the cards for my parents. And so um, at the end of the 2015, um, that's when I decided. And then January of 2016, I didn't go back to college. Um, I was only there for a semester and I had signed a lease for an apartment in the short North, um, which is like the downtown of Columbus. And I didn't have funding for my company. I didn't have much money. I had this apartment and I had no real strategy on how I was going to get customers quickly enough to pay my bills. And I was thankful that I had a job that paid like $10 an hour at a marketing firm. And I was thankful that uh, I had an apartment, but my parents didn't support me as much as I thought they would. Um, they actually didn't really talk to me for about a year. They didn't um, support with the health insurance or any of those other Things that I didn't even know that my parents were paying for, right? Like mm-hmm. I was, I was really thankful that I had a childhood where they did kind of take care of my basic, basic needs, right? Like food and insurance and all these things that just all of a sudden add up. Um, I left college and realized all of this was getting paid for. And then it all of a sudden wasn't. And so I took a job as a waitress. Um, i didn't really do well at that I, I actually I did well from a tip perspective I'm always upsold. I always knew how to get things to like increase the bill but in terms of like folding the napkins the correct way, I refused to fold the napkins the correct way because I found a more efficient way uh, and so that didn't really work out um, and I started um, there there was you know this is the whole year of 2016, when I was trying to figure out how to get my business off the ground, business was my goal, but I needed to pay my bills. And it, it it was overwhelming. And I remember periods of time just thinking, man, I it would be so much easier to just go back to college and do it the way that everybody else was. I wouldn't be spending all this time and energy on something that I... I didn't even really know where I was going. My my goal was to just make sure people had access to tampons and pads, and I didn't even know like the business model. I didn't know like how I was going to make it happen. I didn't know where I was going to get funding. I didn't even know that people funded businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I just knew that the reality had like the 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 conversation had to change, and so I just, even one day it was it, bills were getting really tight, and I looked up on Craigslist like quick ways to make cash. At this time, I'm eighteen or nineteen. Um, and I saw that there was figure drawing, nude modeling for figure drawing classes. And I was like, eh, if I can make $100 under the table, like whatever. And I actually uh, loved it. Um, mm-hmm. I the, the art of figure drawing is just so remarkable. I'm not an artist. My mom mm-hmm. is, but I love being a part of it. So yeah, I made some money from my body, but it was in an artistic manner. Mm-hmm. And... So for all of 2016 was just figuring it out, not just figuring out my business, but figuring out my life, figuring out the world, and understanding things incredibly quickly. And then 2017 was where I was able to um, hone in a little bit more on what I was actually doing with the business um, because yeah. my basic needs were taken care of at that point.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm I'm struck by kind of the courage and the resilience to get through this time, you know, just, you know, not wanting to gloss over, you know, that your parents didn't speak to you for a year and weren't supportive at all of your decision. You know, this, this I think, is a pretty common thing where parents, you know, really, myself included, you know, I, I, I want my kids to go to college. I have a son that's in college right now and one that's going next year. And I think it's what's best for them. I like to believe that if they wanted to do something else, that I would be supportive and I would love them, and I would, you know, try to uh, help them in any way that I could. If they really were passionate about pursuing something, I think that I would. But I think a lot of parents would maybe fall into a category, maybe not to the extent of not speaking, but being really upset that, um, you know, their their child, especially with. The grades and the, you know, way that you had excelled, top ten in your class, to drop out, you know, that had to be really hurtful to you, for your parents to respond the way they did, and yet, you know, you still find uh, not just hurtful but scary because you're really on your own, and 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 for you to be able to find ways to make it work, you know, I hope you really understand how how. Uh, much courage that takes and that you you know have honored yourself for really doing that.
0: Hmm. Well, thank you. I will say, um, as horrible as it sounds, I, I think that it was an advantage because I once again wanted to prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember as I was leaving university, one of my, my guidance counselors said, well, Claire, don't you just want to get a degree just in case it doesn't work out? Mm-hmm. And that concept to me was just horrifying. Um, Why would I ever bother putting eggs in a basket just in case it didn't work out? For me, I thought about it. And this is... I'm not sure it's still the right way to think about things, but it was the right way at the time. I was like, I would rather put... First of all, having a successful company is always against the odds. Like, What is it? 99.99% of businesses fail. And so I was betting on like a 0.01% chance. And I would rather put 100% 100% of my effort and energy into making that 0.01% odd a 100% chance rather than 70% opportunity and 30% getting the college degree. And so for me, it was don't worry about the plan B. Always think about plan A, put everything into plan A, and then you have a much better chance at succeeding because all of your eggs are there. Right. Um, now, at the time, I didn't have anything to lose. I was 18. I literally had no family, no obligations. I didn't even know what money really was. Um, so I didn't have much to lose, which was an advantage at the beginning. Now, I obviously think about things a little bit differently because I have a company and investors and millions of dollars in our bank account that I'm managing. And so there's so much more to lose. But I, the thing that I don't want to lose is... The risk tolerance, because that is what made us successful to this day, and that is what I believe will continue to make us successful.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of things that are going to make you successful, continually successful. That that is one of them. That kind of willingness to really see things that way. Um, and what I'm hearing is that what you, what you're really doing is you're you're still going towards. That outcome, without letting anything really get in your way or stop you, and and so why don't you talk about kind of you mentioned uh, how you got the idea? Talk talk a little bit about kind of um, how you got the idea and and how the business uh, became you know what it is. Certainly you know, and we can talk about 2020. There's been a big pivot that that came this year. But, but let's talk about kind of the early days of the business and, and how it came to you and, and how, it, how it's developed from there.
0: Yeah. Um, I love solving problems that are intimate to me. Um, and the uh, idea for Aunt Flo came about at a startup weekend. Once again, this is when I was at college, I was 18 at the time. And I was at this 54 hour hackathon. Friday night, I got my period. I didn't have a tampon with me. Um, and there was a coin-operated tampon and pad dispenser in the bathroom. And I'm thinking, I don't have a quarter. I don't have a tampon. And I did like everybody else in this situation. I rolled up some of my own toilet paper, shoved it up there and was like, well, hope it works. I was like, there has to be a better way. And there wasn't. Nobody was solving for this problem. Um, the problem of getting your period in public without the supplies you need the problem of not talking about menstruation. This was five years ago in 2015. At that time, there was no States that passed legislation. There was no like very minimal conversation around menstruation. Now that has the industry has entirely changed was it, which I was really thankful to be um, what I hope to believe a large part of that change. Um, but that was my idea. I was like, man, can't we just solve for this? Like, can't this just be a little bit better? And we started out actually with a subscription box for tampons and pads. Um, that was the point of re- least resistance, um, just selling tampons and pads to individuals online because I didn't have the money or the funds or the backing to be able to make you know, a dispenser, which was my grand vision. Um, but that's that's where we started. Um, and by we, I mean me. <laughs> um, right. Me and my U-Haul storage unit. Um, right. I rented out a U-Haul storage unit, had all my tampons and pads there. I did a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, and I just uh, relentlessly repeated myself. And by that, I mean, I just kept saying, if toilet paper is offered for free, why aren't tampons and pads? And before I knew it, people finally started answering. Well, not before I knew it. People finally started answering that question. Like, oh my gosh, you're right, Claire. Why aren't tampons and pads offered in the bathrooms? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really the turning point. But that really wasn't until 2018. So I dropped out in at the end of 2015. 2016 was a year of learning. 2017 was a year of building. And 2018 was the year that... Um, that's where we raised our first funding round. But it took Two years of navigating my personal life before I was even able to um, go out there and really scale the business.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's uh, you mentioned this earlier that you know you didn't know about a lot of these things, these business things, raising money and cap tables and terms and and you know any of it really none and, of it right and, and you know I I think it's really important for people to know that you don't have to. You don't have to know all of it. You don't have to know any of it. I I when I started my business, I had spent 15 years working for other people, and so I knew some things. I did not know what it what, what it meant to start a business. I just didn't know. And I learned, and I again who not how found great people to who did know these things. To rely on mentors um, or team members, you know, whoever else, right? Advisors. And you learn over time and you know, back to unique ability, what you had, which is what most people don't have, and this is why a lot of businesses fail, is you had a vision, you had a passion, you had a outcome that you were clear that you were driving towards. And you had all of this life experience that really prepared you perfectly well to be a founder, despite what you, quote, like, don't know, you know, this is like, again, the, the knowledge thing, you know, there's, there's knowledge. And then there's actually like skills. And, 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 and I, and I think, you know, your skills are really what's propelled you. And those are just kind of like inherent things that you've been born with that you've built that you've you know developed that that you've used your life experience so that you can really be successful in business and and to me that's kind of the formula uh, so tell me then uh, we get to 2020 and You know, you've got some traction in 2018, you've got some funding, things are going well, right, 2019. Talk to me then about kind of what happens 2020.
0: Yeah. Um, So to add additional context, obviously, Brett, you know all of this, um, but additional context for people who don't know, um, by 2020, we had raised $2.7 million in funding from venture capitalists. I had designed and developed this free vend patent-pending tampon and pad dispenser. Um, We had hundreds of companies that have signed on to say, yes, we want tampons and pads in our bathrooms. And we had closed companies like Princeton University and Google North America and Quicken Loans. We had passed legislation in five states requiring middle schools and high schools to offer free tampons and pads in their bathrooms. We were doing research studies. We were growing this business. This was all in 2019. And then obviously 2020 March hit. And um, we relied, we made money off of people going into public bathrooms and using our tampons and pads. Um, so obviously with COVID, people weren't going into public bathrooms. So they therefore weren't using tampons and pads, um, our tampons and pads in the bathrooms. And so that was problematic. Um, and at this point, um, I had a mighty team based here in Columbus, Ohio, mighty team of seven. Um, most of the people on my team did um, were the primary breadwinners. And at 22 years old, I'm looking at my team and trying to figure out, oh my gosh, how do we sustain this business in this critical time of unknown? But I love chaos. I absolutely love it. I actually perform so much better when there is chaos compared to when there's no chaos. Uh, well, there's no chaos. I start getting scared that it, like something is bizarre because man, living in a world with no chaos is like frightening. Um, anyways, so there's all this chaos. There's so much confusion. We had just raised our second round of funding of 1.2 million. So we had, we raised 1.5 and we raised 1.2. Million. And instead of thinking about the things that we didn't have, AKA customers that were paying us recurring, <laughs> we hyper-focused on the things that we did have and the things that we did know. Um, been manufacturing class two medical devices for at that point, four years. I had been importing FDA approved products. Uh, we had manufacturing in China for our pads. Um, we worked with facilities managers across the United States and Canada. And so I called those customers, my, my best friends, my facility manager dudes. And I was like, tell me what's going on in your world. I need to know. I need to learn. And you're like, Claire, we can't find masks. Claire, we can't find wipes. And so we retooled our pad production. Make FDA approved three ply masks. That was at the end of February. At our factory, we were doing about 200,000 masks a week, and that wasn't enough. And so we um, called on partners to see how else we could support. And then we scaled up to being able to deliver over 2 million masks a week to our customers. Um, We closed contracts with Veterans Affairs in the state of Michigan. We supported all of our Fortune 500 and 100 necessary companies, and we built out a whole new division of the company. Uh, So we had AntFlow and then we built out WorkFlow, which was all of the other basic necessities that facilities managers needed. Um, And we leaned into that. Um, And I looked at our team and everybody was pulling 20-hour days. And we all knew we were either going to pull 20-hour days and make this magic happen, or nobody was going to have a job (laughs) because the other business wasn't producing revenue. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was really thankful that our team members dug in um, and said, yes, we can make an impact. Yes, we can change the world. Um, And we never lost sight of our core value of people helping people, period. Um, And with all of the product that we were manufacturing, we built in a give-back model and through this year, we've now donated over um, forty thousand dollars worth of PPE to communities across the United States in me. So it's been a wild, wild journey. But the thing that excites me most about business is that you can make massive change. Like you literally have the the, the world opportunity, and as a CEO, like you have all of the opportunity to turn the boat. So do it, like I, it was just so fun. Like it was yeah. horrifying and scary and wild. And you know, I had a board meeting that I had to like tell the the you and investors. Like, yep, we wired all of our one point two million dollars, and we have two weeks to make payroll. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, it'll all work out. Uh-huh. Um, but it was like those were the times where I just leaned in to risk tolerance because if I didn't take that risk, we would still be sitting here seven months later, running out of cash in a business line that didn't make sense. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah. I mean, I, I give you a lot of credit. I've, I, you know, had a front row seat to watch, you know, you pivot like this, and hearing your story today really, you know, explains why you are able to be composed and uh, courageous, and really, you know, kind of have the risk tolerance that you have because you know that you got to go, you got to do it, you, you, you got to trust, and, and. Take your swings, and you can't sit still, or else you know you're in trouble. And and you didn't hesitate. Um, there there might have been you know all the scary you know holy shit. You know I mean let's not you know, pretend like that isn't there. But you have had a lot of that along the way. There's been a lot of scary. There's been a lot of you know holy shit. And and you grind and you. You, you go and you, you're in action. You figure it out. And that's what you did with this business. And I still believe that the core business is uh, really important and, and viable. Uh, like a lot of things right now, just the world has changed temporarily. People are going to go back to the office. They are going back to restaurants. They are going to go back to schools. They are going to need your product. And you guys will be better because you've gone through this. And And you'll also have a company that has more products and you know more opportunities, and that uh, actually reminds me I saw you post something last night on LinkedIn, which I don't know if you can talk about yet, but it was a little glass of your menstrual blood, and you're questioning asking people why you have this and and I don't know if you can talk about that really, but but I think you know what? I really saw when I um, saw that post and what I hear really loud and clear, which I just want to highlight you know one last time, is that you like to solve problems that are intimate to you, and I really think this is a key key thing for others out there, entrepreneurs, people that are listening. I believe these are the problems we need to be solving. And it's not like a narcissistic thing that, like, oh, I want to solve all my own problems. It's that your life experience highlights for you the problems that we're all facing that that many people are facing. And so you're not just solving your problems, you're solving problems for a lot of people that that are like you that are sharing the same human experience. so uh, I, I just I love that about you and and I don't know if you can talk about kind of where things are going, maybe even just broadly talk a little bit more about the future of the business.
0: Yeah. Um, You're so right. Solving real like, intimate problems is so something that I love to do. And another benefit of not knowing about VC and investing early on is I didn't know that there was a rule book. Um, If you look at other companies in Silicon Valley, there was a lot of pressure on focus. And you can see this in large companies like Casper Mattress, for example. If you, they added another product, the investor said you're not focused. And there was this massive uptick in founders focusing on one product and one product only. And that showed focus to me. It just showed like they didn't have optionality and diversification for when industries change. And so in 2020, it really came to light for me that you have to have diversification in a stable business. If you look at startups that are successful versus startups that are failing, the the diversification and leaning into the things that you're really good at allows for companies to prevail. And what we're really good at is solving intimate problems for menstruators um, and then also solving intimate problems for facilities managers. Those are the things that we're pretty good at. And so when I looked at where we had weaknesses Um, when COVID isn't around ant flow, which is tampons and pads and business and school bathrooms that prevails, it works really well when COVID is surging workflow, which is all of our PPE that takes place. But what happens when the entire world goes to shit, people still menstruate periods don't stop for a pandemic. And we don't have a direct-to-consumer product line yet. How can we create a flywheel effect for the advocates for AntFlow and give them an opportunity to buy into our brand and buy into our company? And so, the other you know three weeks or no four weeks ago now, I was actually on my period, um, and I was wearing one of my friend's pants, and I ruined them with a period stain. And I looked online, and I was like, man, there's a whole bunch of DIY tick and tricks on how to remove period stains. People try to claim that oxy oxy remove works and all this random like coarse salt, cold water, your mom's like cure for period stains. And none of that shit was working. And I thought, you know, how can we create a stain remover for periods that actually works? And so I dug into that challenge and I, I posted on Instagram. I was like, is this a problem for other people? And they're like, this is a problem. We want a solution. And unlike regular blood, Period blood is much richer in proteins because it's the shedding of your uterine lining. So regular blood stain removers don't work all of the time. And so um, over the past four weeks, we've been building out this uh, period stain remover by Aunt Flo, and I'm really excited for it. It's going to be our next product, and it'll be a direct-to-consumer product. But I never view it as a lack of focus. It's more of just leaning into the things that we know really well and positioning our company. Success no matter how the market turns, and that's uh, that's our next product. And I'm really excited about it.
1: I am too, I think it's brilliant. And you know, I've seen um, kind of the need in our own home, and 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 you're right, I don't think there's a there's a anything else out there like it. And I think it's going to um, be incredibly successful. And I love the idea that this isn't a lack of focus, I I think there's a A fine line there. I see a lot of entrepreneurs who get way ahead of themselves. You know, they're in one business and they think that that's going to turn into a media company or something, you know, like, well, you're selling a product. How does that turn into a media company just because you're good at social media? You know, there's sometimes, you know, people get way too far ahead of themselves. But what you're doing is you're actually just kind of taking these downloads, these life experiences, and you're, Evolving your business and you're growing your business and you're coming up with new products and you're solving new problems. And it's all under the same umbrella and aimed at, in my opinion, you know, solving the same problem, getting to the same outcomes. So I think it's wonderful. And I'm I think you're wonderful. And I think this your story is a wonderful one. And I'm I'm so happy to know you and and to be partnered with you um, in your business. And, and I'm appreciative for you coming on and uh, sharing your story today. And I want you to have the opportunity to share some final thoughts, anything that you want to share with the audience.
0: Oh, well, thank you, Brett. Yeah, it's so wonderful to share um, more on the personal side of being a founder and a CEO. And I think what's so important to remember is that we're all humans. I might have shared some tidbits of wisdom, but... Um, My team and myself can share that I don't get it right every day. I'm 23. I had an idea and I started as a founder and I became the de facto CEO. Um, And so I'm flexing all these new muscles and I'm learning just like everybody else is. And so general last thought is keep being awesome humans
1: yeah thank you thank you yeah a lot of humility and i think it's you're right you know it's important to kind of highlight it it can be messy and and we're imperfect and we don't have it figured out and and as mature as you are and as much as you've lived, you're 23 and you shouldn't um, expect yourself or others shouldn't expect you to um, not make mistakes and not be, you know, um, human. So great final thought. Really appreciate it. Thanks again, Claire. It was a pleasure to, to do this with you. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at the Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.